What I've seen over the last six to 12 months is that companies are literally craving this information to understand, are they still competitive? Because they've made so many moves, whether it was with pay or benefits, they want to understand where they stack as it relates to their competition. Don't conduct your analysis in isolation because data is so incredibly powerful. Not defending just the tribe, but defending the organization. Those creative people that you really want to keep empowered, keep excited, keep motivated, keep thinking. Good experience pays dividends down the line. Stereotypes tend to break down in proximity. Welcome to We're Only Human, a podcast about human resources, business, technology, and the workplace. My name is Ben Eubanks, your host, and I'm so glad you're here. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode here of We're Only Human, and I'm so glad to have you here with us. We have these incredible conversations, and I am so thankful to get a front row seat talking to different leaders and experts and people who are at the front lines of how decisions are getting made and how things are getting done when it comes to talent and recruiting and HR every day. And so today's conversation is absolutely going to be one of those. So get ready to take some notes because Terry is one of the smartest people I know when it comes to hiring and recruiting and the RPO space, which is where he is now since the last time we talked to him here on the show. So Terry, I'm glad to have you here, sir. Welcome. Thanks, Ben. Happy to be here. Really looking forward to the conversation. As we all know, this is probably the most awkward we've ever seen in the labor markets, which creates great opportunities for all of us. So thanks for having me. Yes, sir. Absolutely. I was telling you before we started recording, I just came back yesterday from New York where I was at an event and the conversation was who's got one little glimpse, one little bitty idea that we can try because everyone's looking for things to, to test out if they're trying to hire. And as we'll get to in a minute, not everybody is. So there's a lot of fluctuation there. But before we get to some of the fun stuff, some of the details that the audience is here to hear you talk about, give me a little bit about who you are and what you do, please. For sure. Again, Terry Tahark, I've had the great fortune of being in the RPO space since the 90s, before RPO was technically invented. But along the way, I've had the opportunity to build a couple of enterprise RPO firms, right thing, built from zero to about a thousand recruiters during the 2000s. And that business was acquired by ADP, led several global businesses for them, and then launched Next Thing in 2019, which is a pure play recruitment process outsourcing firm. So obviously I've been in the space for a long time. I've, I've seen it grow and evolve. Uh, we're certainly at one of those in, inflection points, in, in my opinion, relative to RPO and innovation. I'm the founder and president, and I get to do the things that I do best, which are primarily interacting with our clients to ensure that we're delivering the way that we're supposed to, but spend about half of my time each week talking one-on-one with our recruiters and our team, which is fundamental to who I am. But more importantly, it keeps me really close to the work and the changing dynamics of the labor markets and what we're seeing with our clients. So it's a fascinating time for me and one that I'm enjoying very much. Excellent. That's so good to hear. And I was not kidding. I was not messing around or just blowing smoke earlier. Every time I talk to you, I learn something new. I hear something interesting. I have to make a note. I start carrying pencil with me when I'm talking to you because I've always got an idea to go and explore after those conversations. And I'm hoping everybody listening in is going to get some of those kind of aha moments as we go through today. So just to kick us off, one of the things I'd like to hear, you talked about keeping your ear to the ground, keeping connected to what's happening out there. One of the weird 
paradoxes, if you want to, that's happening right now is that there are some spaces, some industries, some companies that have stopped hiring, have maybe even laid off some of their people, but there are other industries or other types of companies that are hiring full speed ahead as quickly as they can, looking for talent as hard as they have been for the last 12 months. I'd love to get your take on that. What's going on there? What do you think is happening? What are the, maybe the causes or just some contributors to that? Yeah, it's an interesting dichotomy, Ben, one where I totally agree. We have a number of industries or types of organizations that have all but ceased hiring or gone backwards in terms of reduction in workforce. And we have other companies that are hiring very assertively. Best I can tell is that uh, anyone who's doing frontline hiring right now, and what I consider frontline would be manufacturing roles, retail, restaurant, pretty much anything that's entry level, there is still considerable pressure. And if you look at the number of open jobs, we're still above 10 million open jobs and a majority of those would fall into that frontline category. So there's still supply and demand issues there and companies are still very much struggling with finding the right people for those roles. We are still seeing significant ghosting rates in some of those frontline roles as well. On, on, on the converse, we've seen a lot of organizations, and I think it's widely known that software or technology companies have definitely tapped the brakes. They've definitely slowed down their hiring. I think the days of the wild, wild west, which were a year ago, six months ago, those have slowed down a good bit. And I think valuations of companies have come down from what were all-time highs, I think that a lot of these knowledge worker type organizations, because of the labor market conditions over the past 18 to 24 months, have been very aggressive at hiring, essentially hiring when they could, if they found someone. We had one client that who is a software company, their enterprise software company. Through June, they had hired their full headcount for the year, and they were taking advantage of the opportunity to hire when they found good candidates. So... For them, it was natural to put a pause on. I do think these pauses are short-lived. We are at the last or entering the last quarter of the year. And most companies tend to, at least in October, they'll continue to hire to their plan. But as you start to get into November and December, companies start to turn their attention to the next year. So it's normal to see those slowdowns in December, certainly parts of November as well. But I, I just think that companies have been on a hiring frenzy over the past couple of years, and whether it was due to the, the equity markets and valuations, we've seen the same in life sciences companies who are sponsored by venture or private equity-backed organizations where they've you know, just taken a little bit more of a pragmatic approach to, we want to conserve our cash. We don't want to be overly aggressive. We want to see what's happening if there is a recession. How long is the recession going to go on? It is, again, it's incredibly awkward as a recruiting professional to see we're in a recession, what we're being told, but we still have a nearly all-time high of open jobs. Unemployment rates are still very low. That's my take on it, Ben. And there, I think there's a lot of other contributing factors, but that's certainly what we're seeing. That's a great all-encompassing sort of answer. That's what I was hoping to get from you because you have this really good perspective of all the different factors of what's happening across the spectrum as much as anyone can, essentially, anyway. Yeah. And one of the leaders I was talking to yesterday was telling me, he said, we're, at, we're under 4% employment. Five-ish five is considered full employment by the government. And so right. even if things, quote unquote, get bad, they still only estimate that it's going to just edge up just above 5%. 
So just above that full employment number. And even then we're still just because the demand is so high still in a lot of these areas. So it's a, it's definitely a strange time. I've never seen anything like it. And I would probably wager you never have either in your years of recruiting experience either. I haven't. And I've never been one to pay a lot of attention to the key economic indicators, but I read with great interest last week, the Fed's movement with the raise of the interest rates and how long they felt that would take to have that impact. I read the same thing, Ben, that they felt like they would get unemployment into the high fours, low fives, but they didn't see that occurring until the end of 23, perhaps even in early in 24. And again, even at four or 5% unemployment, that's still a pretty vibrant labor market, at least from the many years that I've been doing this. Yes, absolutely. There are years we would have prayed for that. <laughs> Absolutely, without a doubt. Yeah, I've been through a couple of kind of slowdowns. I've been through the dot-com bust, and certainly, at least in my career, the 2007-2008 kind of financial meltdown, that was as severe of a recession, but literally happened overnight. And I've told our team here, this one just puzzles the heck out of me because you got all these companies that are just hiring as many people as they possibly can and others that are tapping the brakes or pausing or slowing down. So it's just a, it's a very interesting time. Okay. Thank you for giving me that kind of that level set there. So I want to turn our attention a little bit over to the RPO space, which is what you know and love where you eat, sleep and breathe pretty much based on what you, your intro earlier. I want to ask you a couple of questions. So we just finished some brand new research on what's happening in RPO space. We're going to be sharing that at the RPO association conference coming up in Chicago. And one of the things that I wanted to, to bring to you is we asked employers, what kind of services or support are you getting from your RPO? And for those of you that are less familiar with that space or you're not using one currently, you imagine it's, okay, they're recruiting, so it must be bodies, right? They're filling positions. That's the only thing they bring. But a good RPO partner is bringing other things to the table, just like any good partner would in any area, right? They're consultative. They're looking at your business. They're thinking about what you need as an organization. And so we have this list of options there. And the number one thing that employers said they were hoping for that they weren't getting was some benchmarking support from the RPO partners. And so I'd love to hear from you. Do you get that request? Do you hear employers that are asking, hey, what are they doing? And if you do get that, what kind of information do they actually want to hear? What, what helps them make decisions? Yeah, Ben, you are dead on. And I'm glad that your research found that because I have found, especially of late, and let's say the last 12 months, there has been a craving for benchmarking information. You know, I think any good RPO is going to have a set of analytics and a set of data that they can be intuitive with their client and they can forecast for them what we're seeing and where things are heading. But I think if we take a look at what has happened over the last 24 months, as COVID started and began to unfold, the changes in the labor markets have been wild and they've been vast, meaning we had unemployment go up to what, 25% right immediately following COVID or very high. And then we've, we're coming out of this period where supply and demand has been as exaggerated as I've ever seen it in my career and companies really having struggles who historically have never had struggles to hire. We have seen a candidate market that is as vibrant of a candidate market that I have ever seen, for sure, primarily on these frontline workers. We've always had supply and demand issues around knowledge workers. If you're 
looking for an in vitro scientist. It's just as hard today as it was two years ago or as it was five years ago to hire an in vitro scientist. But where companies have struggled and were left with very few options was how do I effectively recruit given all the dynamics of the labor market? Companies reacted, they adjusted wages, they adjusted benefits, they became more flexible on work from home policies, really listened and moved intentionally to try to make sure that their offering was competitive. So what I've seen over the last six to 12 months is that companies are literally craving this information to understand are they still competitive? Because they've made so many moves, whether it was with pay or benefits, they want to understand where they stack as it relates to their competition and not just people in their industry. So we have a client that is a retailer, but they're a different retailer. They're not a traditional retailer. And they have a number of locations across the Southeast and Southwest. And we do what we call the McDonald's factor for them. So they hire entry-level folks and we go and survey and collect pay information from all the McDonald's that are within their market areas and share that with them because they're competing for the same talent. So they may not be in the exact same industry as McDonald's, but they are competing for that same talent. So they want to know, are their wages being competitive? The other thing that I have found very interesting over the past couple of years that a number of these labor market or labor analytics tools have really progressed their capabilities. We use a number of different kind of third-party where providers to help us infer kind of labor market dynamics for our clients. So we can instantly find out a job title in a cer certain geography. Number one, what you should be paying them. What's the 50th percentile? What's the 80th percentile? What is the pressure on this? And what are the key skills? Most companies and most clients don't have access to that data. And because there's been so much shifting over the past couple of years around kind of total package, having this immediately available, instantly relevant comparative for them is something that they're absolutely wanting to take a look at. But the other thing is, and stop me if I'm going on too long here, we just had one of our life sciences clients who felt like their in-office policy was creating inequities in their ability to attract the best talent. So we actually went out and did a pretty big research project on understanding what other life sciences companies were doing as it relates to work from home. Again, another new dynamic that's been introduced to the labor markets over the past couple of years. And really the objective was to be able to show them were they market, were they different than the market, was their policy creating a disadvantage and the type of talent that they were going after. And so most companies, I think today, because of all the rapid change we've seen in the labor markets, really want to understand where they stand, how they compare, and what they can do to position themselves more favorably in these labor markets. It was a really long answer, Ben, to a pretty straightforward question. But it's, it's not as simple as yes, or no, right? That's not, I didn't ask you yes. yes or no question, right? So I get, I got a good answer that's, that has a lot of insight there. One of the things I was thinking of, you, you call it the, uh, the McDonald's factor. We, I would call it the Wendy's factor because I'm on the board for a local nonprofit and they run a daycare as part of that. Mm. And when the Wendy's opened up about a year ago in town, they have the billboards all over town 
two months before they open, $15 an hour can work for us. The, the month that before they opened, we started losing daycare workers there for your same point, right? They're pulling that same audience that says, hey, I can either do this job that's stressful and people, kids screaming at me and everything else, or I can do this other job that may be better, may not, but it pays more. And so you saw that all the, all the fast food places around them for sure were impacted because when they started reducing hours and things, yep. but also other areas beyond that where you're like, this seems like an, a very different type of industry. It doesn't, the industry doesn't matter because to your point, it's the labor pool that matters. We're pulling from that same labor pool and that's when it creates that kind of stress and friction. Could not agree more. And I've used this example, Ben, with our clients who are hiring frontline workers and I call it the Amazon factor. If you think of Amazon and the growth that they've had, you know, they open these warehouses and they'll hire two, three, four, 5,000 people in a city. And Amazon is very thoughtful about where they put their wages. They're not at the low end, they're not at the high end, but they're more than competitive. And numerous companies, whether they're warehouse companies or whether they're manufacturing companies, historically, they've not had to compete with the, the likes of an Amazon but it has disrupted the labor market if you're talking about working in a hot factory, even though the wage might be desirable versus going to an Amazon warehouse. Again, not easy work, but still competitive wages, et cetera, et cetera. It does have an impact on these labor pools. So in, in that same set of research that I was talking about a minute ago, we see that one of the big reasons that employers are planning to change their RPO provider isn't because of the quality of the candidates or it isn't because of even the response time necessarily, but it's because of a mismatch of their culture or how they fit with that company. Do we get along? Do we feel like we, I don't even know what you can call that, right? Do we vibe or whatever else? Do we, do we seem like we're aligned from a perspective of what we're trying to get accomplished and what you can provide as a partner there? And I'm curious, have you ever seen that kind of thing happen? And if you have, are there any symptoms or things that might show up that employers be thinking about or just signs that may not be a fit? I wholeheartedly believe that culture fit between a client and an RPO provider is fundamental to a successful relationship. And I think that most of the enterprise RPO firms uh, all have delivery engines that are highly capable of producing quality candidates and good results, some better than others, but for the most part, they're the tools that we all use and whatnot are largely similar. So it really comes down to, are you going to be able to collaborate with your RPO partner and think differently, particularly with all the changes that we've seen in the past two years? It makes perfect sense to me, Ben, that over the last two years with the, you know, the rapid pace of change, with the unique pressures that we've seen in the labor markets, that having a partner that is highly adaptable, able to and iterate very quickly, and those all go back to the culture of an organization. And so rather than being someone that will go to a client and say, this is our process and this is the way that we do it, really working with them, trying to understand how you can move quickly you can change to and adapt to meet their needs. That makes perfect sense to me. I have said for many years that, in my opinion, the number one reason for change of or losing an RPO client is change of contact. So, you know, you're working with the VP of talent acquisition, they leave. And as an RPO, you've not developed deep enough relationships elsewhere in that organization so that others understand your culture that they understand who you are as an organization, what you represent, what you do on a day-to-day -day basis, how you're able to flex with their needs, how you're able to adjust based upon the changes in kind of the general economy. Those are paramount 
to building a relationship. And you know, I've been fascinated since we, we started Next Thing and not to get too personal about us. If I've learned anything over the last three and a half years, it has been that people still buy from people. And as you represent your culture and who your company is and what makes you different, what makes you unique, that's what people buy. And you still may have to go through an RFP, still may have to go through a formal process, but it's about feeling comfortable with the people that you're working with. I think that's a really great answer. And I like how you set that up at the beginning where that same thing is true of many people on the employer side too, as well. Like we, they can access the same tools. They can see the same kinds of data, right? Their processes in general are, are very similar. There may be some nuances, but in general, those things are the same. It comes down to the people and how they do or don't interact well with other people that can make or break these relationships. I'm seeing that in so many different areas in the work that we're doing now. And one of the ways I've been talking about it lately is let's say your leadership team says, yes, we believe in workplace flexibility, or we believe in mobility, or we believe in creating a belonging, a culture of belonging, any of those kind of things the leadership can say, and it's perfectly fine, but it's going to work or not work when it gets down to that relationship level between that person that's going to make the decision, that manager and the employee that works with them. If any of those things are going to work, that's where it's going to either make or break. And so to your point there, that relationship piece is so important. And I appreciate you shedding some light on that for us in that. Yeah. And to extend that just a a little further, Ben, the ability to attract talent, the ability to be fully staffed over the past two years has absolutely risen to the CEO level. Manufacturing organizations haven't been able to produce because of staffing levels, restaurants, haven't been able to open because they're not staffed appropriately. This has risen to a level that creates significant internal pressure. And as an RPO provider, to the extent that you can partner with your client to be able to alleviate some of that stress and pressure that's put upon them, that is all culture. And it's about assuring them that you have them, that you're going to take care of them, et cetera. It's been even more important over the past 20, 24 months. Times are tough. People remember how else they were treated. I remember whether you were responsive, you were there for them, you were willing to, sure, I'll sit in with you on that meeting that you've got with your boss and I'll, I'll be at your side. You need me. You turn to me. I'm right here for you versus, oh, here's our document on that or whatever else that doesn't really create that meaningful relationship there. So good. All right. So this has been such a treat for me. I've got a ton of good notes from the conversation today, but if someone else has enjoyed this, I want to know more about what you and the team at Next Thing are doing. What's the best way for them to get? Certainly they can connect with me on LinkedIn. My name's easy, Terry Terhart. There's not too many of those out there. So feel free to connect with me and I enjoy beginning relationships on LinkedIn, but certainly reach out to me at my email address, which is terry.terhart at nextthing.com. Uh, rpo.com would love to engage would love to chat share with you what we see and also learn from what you're doing as well okay wonderful i'll make sure and get those into the show notes for anyone else who's listening in maybe doing like i do and washing dishes or something else and not able to write that down at the moment so i'll make sure and get those into the show notes so everyone can see that and uh, and reach right over and connect with you terry thank you again for spending some time with us i really appreciate it i appreciate your knowledge your expertise but most of all your passion for the space and for serving employers. It means a lot. And I'm thankful to know you, sir. Yeah. Thanks, Ben. Really appreciate the conversation. I enjoyed it very much. Wonderful. To everybody else out there, hope you enjoyed this. Got some good notes, good takeaways. Go out there, recruit well, and we'll catch you next time on We Are Only Human. 
thank you so much for joining me on the show today. I am honored to have you as a listener. If you enjoyed this episode, please take 10 seconds to rate it at iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcast. Also, if you know a friend that could benefit from today's conversation, please pass it their way. After all, a rising tide lifts all ships. To see show notes, sponsor information, and our full show archives, visit OnlyHumanShow.com. 